Welcome to Thrive Beyond Pornography, the podcast where real couples like us candidly navigate the journey to a healthier, more connected life. Join us as we share personal experiences, expert insights, and practical tips to help you thrive in your relationships and break free. Together, let's repair and build a rock-solid connection, becoming a couple that can overcome any challenge. I'm Zach. And I'm Darcy. We're an LDS couple who struggled with unwanted pornography in our marriage for many years. What was once our greatest struggle and something we thought would destroy us has become our greatest blessing and triumph. Our hope is that as you listen to our podcast each week, you'll be filled with hope and healing and realize that you too can thrive beyond pornography and create the marriage you have always desired. Welcome to Thrive Beyond Pornography. We're so glad you're here and we believe in you. All right, hey everybody. This is Zach. I am. Uh, I'm interviewing a couple of my favorite people here. Uh, Brent. Well, I don't really know Becky, but Brent is one of my favorite people to talk to. Uh, Brent has gone through the course, and Becky has been, I think, in some ways, a beneficiary of that. Is that fair to say, Becky? Mm-hmm. So today we're just going to talk, ask, ask a few questions. Uh, I'm super grateful that you came on the podcast. I really appreciate you guys doing this, partly because I feel like whenever someone can tell the story of success they are offering hope to someone who hasn't been able to find that success yet. And so I really appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you have done within the the program. And I'm I'm looking forward to hearing a lot about you. Tell us what it was like before you found coaching with me. So before coaching with you, then I found, I found it to be, like you said, it was hopeless. Uh, there was a lot of different things that we tried. Um, there was a lot of shame and guilt associated with it. There was um, various discussions with various bishops, and there was no resolution. I remember when I was, uh, so we're LDS as well, and I was called um, into the, what was it, the high council? I was called into the high council of all places for me to be, which felt even worse honestly and and the uh first counselor in the in the state presidency just kind of looked me in the face and he says you need to cease doing this thing and i was like really (laughs) no i really didn't know thank you for that help that you just gave me there to cease and he was very serious about it and and i'm just looking at him like i wanted to say some other words but I was like I I know that thank you for for your uh help and your understanding so do you ever well, just want to be like all right captain obvious I've been working on it <laughs> what I wanted to do is grab him by his neck and just slap him around a bit but yeah <laughs> he's a lawyer so you know I wouldn't want to do that but that's what it felt like it was very uh uh degrading yeah felt degrading so, so what what exactly were you trying to solve the idea of what it, what it was like of the the idea of of the um of the pornography usage yeah you know am i addicted can right. i stop um is it possible to stop did i ruin my marriage am i ruining my marriage um all those things what was it like for you before brent found coaching becky 
Well, to be sure, Becky found coaching for me. Becky so. found coaching. All right. <laughs> Which is good. Well, I, I how did you, how did, how did Becky find coaching? To, to go back, I was, I was looking into coaching mm-hmm. um, as possibly something that I would do. I'd listened to a lot of podcasts and I, I mean, my, my kids were now old enough. They were in school. I was looking to do something that was more my own. I've always helped kind of run Brent's business, but I kind of was looking for something that was a little bit my own, my own voice, my own thoughts that I could just call my own. And so I was kind of looking at the coaching world. Um, and, you know, if you look into the coaching world, there's lots of different niches, lots of different people coaching on different things. And I came across you. I believe it was on Facebook. Was it on Facebook? No, it was a Jody Moore. Oh, that's right. It was Jody Moore. Jody Moore. She interviewed you, I think. Yeah. 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 So she, made me listen. she asked me to listen. Yeah, I asked him to listen. And I'll be honest, um, we've, so obviously this has been like an issue our entire marriage. And we've been married 24 years, years in August. In August. And so um, I kind of knew about some things before we got married. So I wasn't like completely um, in the blindsided dark. necessarily, yeah. but I guess I kind of had this naive thought that, oh, well, he's just going to go in and talk to the bishop and get it taken care of and then we'll all go away. And um, obviously over the years, that wasn't the case. And I realized this is bigger than I thought it was. And it was bigger as in how it was affecting me and how I felt about our marriage. But um, I had just watched him struggle over the years of so many different things that he had tried and all of the shame and guilt that he had around it. And I just felt like there's gotta be a solution. There's, there's gotta be something because why would this be, be his vice that he's going to carry without there being a solution, but it just kept feeling like nobody had the solution. And they're always saying, go talk to your Bishop about it. But it always felt like he would go talk to the bishop and the bishop would be like, oh, well, yeah, you need to kind of work on that. It wasn't like the bishop was ever trained on it, (laughs) ever giving him very good advice. Some bishops were even like embarrassed. And now looking back, I'm like, I bet some of them probably struggled with it at the same time. I'll I'll bet you at least half of them, at least half of them. I actually know a couple of the bishops that I talked to, they're like, yeah, I have the same problem. Yeah. And I'm like, how'd you stop? I'm like, I just willpower and I'm like <laughs> so I don't have any, <laughs> yeah you know so it was so as a wife and wanting to be helpful I had heard you get interviewed by Jody Moore and I was like oh babe you've got to you've got to listen to this podcast yeah and so I did and I was like maybe you should sign up for this this could be really good I think and so that's kind of where it started so what had you guys tried before before me Oh, <laughs> I, what happened? We, well, we didn't do, we didn't do any of that 12 step stuff because uh-huh. I've never believed in that stuff. Yeah. Um, as a, so I'm, I'm a physical therapist and, and, you know, we, we try to be evidence-based 
And when you're looking yeah. at the evidence and you're looking at the statistics, you're looking at these courses and, and or these 12 step programs. And I looked into it. I, I, I took a look and there, there's there was minimal to no success. And it was a time consumer. And you found that out by doing them. But mm-hmm. there's no there was no success there. Um, talking to bishops, we never went to a, a therapist. We actually were going to go to a marriage counselor uh, for a while. And uh, we couldn't find one. Yeah. They're, just, they're just not, well, an LDS. Yeah. Well, that that's part of the, where you live. There just aren't very many LDS people up there. Yeah, we're in the mission field for sure. So um, those things, so we didn't try too many other therapies, mostly just bishop. And then it was like, um, try this way of thinking or try this willpower or read these scriptures, or I got to tell you, I mean, I love reading the scriptures, but scriptures don't save you from anything. They don't do that. What they do is they help you to think about things in a certain way, and then you you try to apply those to your lives. So yeah. it was just a lot of the rinse and repeat type of things, and it just wasn't working. Obviously, it wasn't working. So in as you as you were looking at all these things, you know, it sounds like you you were you've been searching for a long time for a solution. None of the solutions that you saw out there seemed to make sense. Everything that you were doing was just like beating your head against the wall. What was what was the difference when you came to me? What what did you see in terms of okay, yeah, I'm going to try this because it's not it's not inexpensive to work with me. And so my my question I guess is, you know, what made this stand out in a way that it was like, yes, I need to work with Zach because well, can, can I say something before he answers Absolutely. that? Absolutely, yeah. So um, before, and, you know, he talks about some of the things that we tried. Some of the things that I personally tried, you know, obviously the typical stuff that, that wives do, like, you know, checking his phone, checking the computer, um, putting all of the the blocks on the computer and all yeah, that. Yeah, you were managing him like a boss. Yeah, I totally was. And I hated it. I was resentful of it. I was just like, why do I have to do this? This isn't my thing. And um, I finally got to a point where I was just like, I'm not his policeman. And I'll be honest with you, growing up in the church now, we live in Oregon right now, but we both grew up in Southeast Idaho and I grew up in Utah until I was 10. So as much as people don't want to say it, there's a difference in the church, in those areas, the, and it has a more to do with the culture. You heard it here first people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So, no, I, but I think you're exactly right. There is a big difference. We've lived in, you know, outside of Utah and we've lived in Utah. And I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. So as a girl growing up in the church, you are, it's like shoved down your throat about your virtue and how your virtue is tied to your sexual sexuality and and that you shouldn't be sexual and and you are supposed to act a certain way so that the men don't screw up and if the men screw up well that's totally fine because they're a guy and they're programmed that way but you women are not which the more I'm researching it the more I'm like actually that's flipped but when I was growing up everything was on the woman and so I felt like in my marriage it was my job to be like, hey, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't, you need to check in with me. How come you didn't call? 
how come you're late from work? I didn't know what you were doing. What were you doing? And, and I just felt like, why is this my job? This is stupid. And so I finally was like, I'm no longer your policeman. Yeah. If you go to hell, you go to hell. I'm just, I'm so done with this. And I, I loved him. Yeah. So I, I wasn't like, I'm going to leave you. It was more this idea of, I am so tired of being your policeman. I'm not going to do it anymore. I just want to love you. Well, how did, how did that impact your sexual relationship? How did it impact your desire for intimacy with Brent? <laughs> <laughs> Brent, so, the answer to this. There's your answer. So, yeah. no, no, no. I, so I have to, it's like this journey in my mind, and it sounds so stupid, but like, just growing, don't use the term organic. And then no, it was okay. it, growing up in the church, obviously, like I said, as a girl, you're supposed to be virtuous. You're not supposed to be sexual. And so, you know, you're supposed well, to like. Well, I think we out. erroneously conflate virtuosity with non-sexuality. And I think that's an error. So I, I think that's exactly. I don't even think they're related. Right. If yeah. I'm being very honest. Yeah. But at the time, I didn't know. At the time, that was all I was taught in young women's is you're supposed to act a certain way and you're supposed to be this certain way. And yet you are still supposed to attract a guy. And so as a girl, you're totally confused. Like I'm supposed to be attracted to this guy, but I'm also supposed to be the epitome of virtuosity. And um, he's supposed to just be head over heels for me, but I'm not supposed to be super sexual. And and then, of course, and, you know, we've told all of our kids because sometimes they're like, "Ooh, stop kissing each other. Ooh, stop hugging. <laughs> and I'm like, one day you're going to find a guy and it's going to take everything in your willpower to not touch him and to not let him touch you. And they just look at me like, "Ooh, I don't want to hear that, mom. Stop talking. Oh, my gosh. My my daughter. Very same basic conversation. We have a friend who she's young and she got pregnant and my my daughter comes to my wife and she says, why would someone want to do that? <laughs> oh, yeah. well, you, until you find the person that you want to do that with, you're just like, yeah, ew, I, I've been told all my life, I'm not supposed to do this. We don't have sex outside of marriage. And right. so then when we met in college, like we literally, we were months away from our wedding date. And it was to the point where it was like, if we can't stop touching each other, we're calling it off. Right. It was that bad. It was... And, and of course I felt super guilty, like, oh, I'm such a bad Mormon girl because I'm letting him touch me and I'm wanting to touch him and we're not even married yet. And I'm so awful. And so, you know, it's this kind of roller coaster. like, I'm not supposed to be sexual, but then I find a man that I absolutely want to be sexual with, but I'm not supposed to be because I'm supposed to be virtuous. And then, and you, then you get, get married. married and it's within 24 hours, all of a sudden it's totally okay. And you're supposed to completely reverse what you've been trained all your life to think. And that night you're supposed to have amazing sex and you're supposed to know all the things to do. And he's supposed to know all the things to do to you. And you're just like, I have no flipping idea what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm scared, but I still want him to touch me. So it's like this crazy, all these thoughts. And then you start like, okay, you get into your marriage, you're kind of working things out. And then it becomes more like, wait, I thought, I thought when we got married and you had access to me sexually, that this would kind of go away. And it didn't. 
And so then all of a sudden I started getting thoughts in my mind, like, "Mm, maybe he settled for me. Maybe I wasn't exactly what he wanted. And so then it's this crisis in my mind all the time of, I got to look right. My hair has got to be perfect. My body's got to be the right shape. I've got to, I've got to be exactly what he wants. Mm -hmm. So then he won't go to porn. Yeah. And obviously it didn't matter what I did. He was, but at the time I didn't know that. I thought it was my fault. I thought I wasn't good enough. I wasn't what he wanted. He settled. And. Well, that was the message you'd been given. It wasn't even so much a, oh, I came up with this idea. This is the message we give our young women. If you wear a bikini, then the boys will have thoughts and that's your fault. Hold on. (laughs) Wait a minute. That's not true. Boys have thoughts, whether you're wearing a bikini or you're fully clothed. Boys constantly have thoughts, right? And it's the same thing I think that we were taught as as boys. She'll she'll manage that. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And so I blamed her too. Like, you know, we had we would have sex, and it's like the next day I'd be like wanting to look at porn, and it's just like, well, maybe this sex just wasn't good enough. Maybe she's just not giving me enough. <laughs> and and it's like it becomes this used. Like she feels like she's being used. Yeah. And so it's totally not fair to her. And it's the expectations are way too high that I would have because my only teacher was porn. So when we got married, I was thinking, wow, again, I'm going to do this and I can do this and I can do this and I'll be totally satisfied. And she's like, what are you doing to me? So there was that part there that, you know, she felt like, what am I to you exactly? Am I your wife or am I just a receptacle? Yeah. You know, and or, or other times, because I'll be honest, I wanted to know what he was looking at. So there was a few times I looked and I was yeah. like, oh, my gosh, is that what he wants me to do? Right. Um, and then because, you know, I grew up so sheltered around that kind of stuff, I, I didn't really know all the things. And so I'm looking at some of this and I'm like, is that like OK to do in a marriage? <laughs> like, I don't know, because all I had ever been told was porn was evil and bad. Right. And so I'm looking at anything that happens on porn. I'm like, well, we can't do that because that's evil and bad. And we can't do that. And that's evil and bad. But I am a little bit curious, but I can't have those thoughts because that's evil and bad. And so you, I have like this struggle in me of, I want to look into that sexuality. Mm-hmm. But if I look into that, then I'm just as bad. I'm just as evil. And so I've got to be the the one that holds the higher level. And so then it was a constant, even when we were having sex, if he wanted to try something, I'd be like, Ooh, I'm not your, I'm not your porn star. Don't treat me like that. Mm. But in my mind, I was like, Might be what interesting. Does that mean? Yeah. Right. So I just, I didn't want him to see me as some woman that he could just take advantage of. Cause that's kind of how porn felt like to me. An object. And I'll be honest, I haven't seen all the porn out there. So just the porn that I had seen right. was it looked like women were basically just being taken advantage of by the men. And so I was just like, well, I don't, I don't want that to be how it is in our sexual lives. I, I want to be equal. Yeah. And I just was like, is he looking at me? Like I'm like that. And that, if I allow him to explore different things or do different things, then he has less respect for me because he's, he's holding me at the same level as 
what he sees on porn. So that was a worry. That was always in my head of, ooh, I don't know if we should be doing this. And I don't know, I don't know if I should like this or not, because I kept linking it back to the porn. Mm. That's so an interesting idea. Affected oh, him, it also affected me. Yeah. This, this is an interesting idea I think a lot of women deal with. And Darcy, Darcy kind of pointed this out to me. There is nothing that you can do in the bedroom that hasn't been done in porn. So if that's your standard, essentially no sex is the reality. And that's right. Because that's the thing that hasn't been done in porn is no sex. So at some point we have to get to a place and I don't know where you are in that because, you know, we haven't really spoken about this, but how have, how have things changed as Brent has been able to move away from regularly choosing porn to where you guys are now? Well, in terms of sexuality, I have always struggled with this idea of wanting to own my own sexuality and what that should look like. Because yes. all growing up in the church, it felt like I should I should be living above that. Like as almost as if sex was a bad thing. Even though we were married, sex mm-hmm. was a lesser You're you're literally not the first person to say those very words to me. Yeah. So the whole time I'm like this seems kind of unfair. Mm-hmm. that I have to put so much thought and effort sometimes into sex for me to be aroused or for me, because I look at him and if I just like throw my clothes off, he's like ready to go. And for me, I'm like, he can walk out of the shower and I'm like, hmm, but I'm not ready to go. And so I'm like, that seems unfair. And I've told Brett often, I'm like, I would really like to sit down with God and be like, how come you made the women this way? This seems very unfair. Yeah. But I feel like it has more to do with the mental side. There's so much mental that women have, especially in our religion, I feel. And I suppose even in the Christian religion, where it's been suppressed. It's been taught to be suppressed so much that it felt like an evil thing inside me if I even wanted to think about that stuff, or if I got aroused from him touching me, or if I got aroused from a thought, then it was like, oh, that's so evil. And yet then I find out that women have way more sexual um, nerve endings than men, and women can orgasm longer and more times. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, if that's the case, how come I've had it suppressed in my life all this time? I should, it should almost... And this is going to sound funny. It should have been flipped around. It should have been the men that were like keeping us crazy (laughs) women from being too sexual. If you look at it from a physical standpoint, maybe it was back in the day. I don't know. Because if you look at the fact that women should be more sexual, shouldn't we be the ones that everybody's trying to control? But well, but wait a minute. I think we, I think we have controlled you. I mean, that's essentially the narrative, right? Like the narrative is, hey, you have to control us so you control yourselves and we tell you this story. Uh, there is a component of that story that is it is con- men controlling women through the idea that they are controlling men, which, you know, the reality is we all have sexual capacity, all of us. And women have a, a, a great deal of sexual capacity. And it sounds like you have gone through a lot of work to figure out, well, how do I re- assert and regain my sexual capacity in light of what's going on in our marriage and pushing on that nerve and pushing forward in, in a, in a position of growth. Right. And that was, that was the journey for me. Cause it felt like 
why, why physically am I made this way, but I've been taught to suppress it for so long. And so then it was this, okay, I need to relook at the programming in my mind of what I really think about sex and what I think about my own sexuality. And so then it was, what are the things that I believe? And is that because it was doctrine or is that just culture in the church? Is that just how I was raised by my mom and my dad and more so my mom, because obviously girls are very affected by how their mom is Mm -hmm. in the marriage. And so, and my mom, I love her to death, but we didn't talk about this stuff ever. And so, and, and, her and my dad were not very physically touching all the time. I mean, they were, they were nice and gentle with each other and stuff like that, but it wasn't like they were constantly grabbing each other or laying on top of each other in front of us kids. That just wasn't like the norm. Mm-hmm. And yet his, his uh, love language is touch. And I'm just like, how do I do that? <laughs> so I've had to relearn that too. And I've had to learn that, um, I enjoy being touched and just touching him doesn't mean that I'm just going to sexually be attacked every time. It's just, that's just what he wants. And, but it's also this idea that I can control my sexuality and I don't have to worry about his. And that has been the journey that I've been on because I don't want to control him. I just want to control myself. Well, and I think, that you've probably found out that you can't control him. Right. Yeah. It took me a few years <laughs> beating my head against the wall, but I finally was like, yeah, this isn't working. So why did you point Brent towards, towards what we were doing? When you saw, when you listened to, uh, to our interview with Jody, who I love, she's a great woman. When you heard that, why did you point Brent towards what we were doing? Well, like I said, I've been looking into the coaching realm, right? And a lot of what is taught with coaching is a lot about thoughts and taking control of your thoughts and your actions. And some of the things that I had heard um, in some of Jody Moore's um, podcasts that I listened to, and and I have joined her um, Be Bold Bold program. Yeah. but then also listening to her interview with you guys, it just was like, you know, I don't know that this has ever been introduced to Brent this way. Yeah. And, and from a guy, cause well, and, I don't know about you, but when I, when I look into, when I looked into coaching and becoming a coach, I was like one dude. It was me. Right. I mean, we went to Jody, Jody's Be Bold Masters and it was me and 50 women and a guy named Joey Massio. That was mm-hmm. it. So having a guy, having another guy explain, what's going on from a guy perspective. And I know, you know, men and women are fairly similar in a lot of ways, but sometimes it just is helpful to have a dude say it from a guy's perspective that has actually gone through the process instead of, you know, maybe the theoretical of, of someone who hasn't done it. Well, and I also, I, cause you had talked about coming on the other side of it mm-hmm. and the work that you had done. And I was like, I've never, I've never heard of anybody in the church doing that they say oh i don't have that problem anymore but they don't tell you about their journey they don't tell you what they did they just say oh i came i got over it and you're just like how yeah but they don't tell you so when you explain to jody kind of what you guys went 
went through and some of that, I was like, that's exactly what we're going through. And you explained the mental work that you had gone through, the, the thoughts and the actions and how you had to start thinking differently. I was like, that's the solution. But nobody had ever described it before. And I was like, this is what he needs to hear. And he does need to hear it from a man, not a woman. Agreed. Yeah. It's come from a dude. And that's not to say that there aren't women coaches who can't do great work. I'm not saying that at all. I just, I don't, I don't know. What it is. Well, yeah, go tell me. There's a difference though, because when a, a dude accepts the, the coaching, well, okay. So I, as, as a guy, accept the coaching better coming from a guy because you number one have been through it. So that's helpful. But the other thing too, is whenever it's coming from a female with respect to this, there's still so much shame and guilt involved that it almost feels like even if she's loving and kind and telling you, Hey, you know, this is, this is that I'd still feel like, yeah, she's still judging me. And she's still, you know, she's just doing this as a job and she's judging me because, you know, I can't keep it in my pants kind of a thing, yeah. which is just how I felt. That's, Whether that's, that's true or not. I think, I think you're describing what I think a lot of men feel. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's why it's helpful, more helpful. And I, you know, so you run your own business yeah. When you when you're looking for business advice on physical therapy, do you ever just like call up professors who've never been in business who are like really good at the theory, like so good that they could teach it at college? No, you never do that. You call up the other PTs in the area and you go, hey, what are you doing about this? You call right. up a, a trusted mentor. You call up somebody who has actually done it, made payroll, done the work. And and I think that that's I think that's a an important distinction because and I think I don't know about you guys, but when you said you didn't go to therapists, but when we were trying to find therapists, we never found anybody. I mean, we had LDS family services available to us in a variety of places that we lived, but we never found anybody who was like, yeah, I know how this works. Let me show you none of that. So it was, it's definitely a different ball game. Was there any, was, was there anything that kept you, you know, as you went through, cause you signed up for a consult, we met, was there anything that, Almost kept you from saying, okay, I'm going to go with Zach. Almost kept me from saying, I don't think there was anything that was said by you or even said by me that kept me from doing it. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that struck me the hardest was during the consult, you said, oh yeah, it sounds like this and this and this. And he says, and you're not addicted to porn, Brent. Yeah, it was the thing that you'd said, and I was like, "What? How can I not <laughs> to porn?" And you're like, "No, you're not addicted to porn at all." And do you do this? Do you do this? Do you this? You went through all the labels. I'm like, "No, I don't. I can, do, you know, yeah. I don't." He says, "Yeah, you're just using porn as a buffer to because you you feel bad and you want to feel good again." And I'm like, oh, "That's it. That's what the problem is." It never went that direction. I've never gone that direction, and so I'm like, "Oh." So that was the impetus for me to be like, okay, maybe this guy knows some stuff. So I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and do it. But the thing, so midway through when we were talking, I kind of fell off the wagon and what it was for me was, it wasn't so much anything that was said. It was more of a feeling of, am I going to be okay? Or am I, am I going to be comfortable leaving this part of me behind? Am I, am I good with that? And there was a couple of months where I'm like, I don't know if I want to let go of this sin because it does 
feel good. And I don't know if I want to get good at feeling bad, honestly. And I think that there's a lot of people out there that are like, I really don't like feeling bad and it kind of sucks. And I am, I'm not (laughs) willing to go down that road. So I fell off the bandwagon for about, I don't know, a month or two or three or something like that. And then I'm like, you know what? This is stupid. What's more important, me feeling good or, uh, or an eternal marriage that's, 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 that lasts where we appreciate each other and where there's physicality, where there's intimacy, where there's a family unit that's, that's better because their dad's not a meathead only thinking about how he wants to feel good, you know, those kinds of things. And so that flipped that switch. And then that, from that point on, it was like, okay, this is, this is a no brainer. We're going to, we're going to do this. And I'll just learn how to feel bad or get good at feeling bad so that I can understand how to feel good the right way. I think that's so amazing for you to be able to see and to admit, I wasn't sure if I wanted to leave this behind. I, I, I know there are a lot of dudes out there. I know there are a lot of women out there who are viewing pornography and this is their favorite sin. Not that they want it, want it, but it's the one that seems to help them the most in the moment. Right. And then you blame it on addiction. Yeah. So then you don't have to worry about fixing it because, well, I'm addicted, you know, yeah. and then it becomes your diagnosis. I'm addicted. And, and yeah. so you know, I can't stop. And yeah. then it just makes it so much easier to continue working in that direction. And you're almost a victim. Yeah. Right? When we're a victim, it's easier to just keep going as we are. Oh yeah. And when you, when you finally go, wait, no, I'm actually choosing this. Do I really actually want to leave it behind? When you finally get to that position, you know, you're not a victim anymore. Right. You can't be a victim anymore. And there's so many things that you find out about agency that you didn't know you knew before. You didn't know before, excuse me. Like, you know, we talk an awful lot with our kids now about agency and living that principle centered life. And it's all completely different from what we learned as, as you know, when we were growing up that this agency, yeah, you do choose, you choose what you're going to do in that day. You choose what you're thinking that day. You choose how you're going to act that day. You're choosing constantly and you're judging constantly how to act, how to be, how to think and those types of things. And and now you can't blame anything on an addiction just because you want to feel good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Becky, did you see any of that change? Did you see any of that growth from where you were sitting? I did. The thing that, and it, I'll be honest, as the wife, it kind of made me a little uncomfortable too, because it felt like, um, as much as I didn't want to control his behavior, when it came to sex, I still had control. I still was kind of controlling some things. And when we were having talks about things that you and him had talked about, and he's like, I gotta, I gotta just be okay when you say no. Mm. And I was like, Ooh, all right, let's try that. And then when we did it, I was like, wait, I don't <laughs> I like the fact that you're okay with that. <laughs> like, I want you to be mad. I want you to want me. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that was kind of a weird thing. I was like, wait, I'm saying no. And you're totally okay with it. All right. Are, do you still love me? <laughs> like you, you do start having those thoughts. Like, wait a minute, is this? I I don't know that this is what I thought it was going to be. 
And so at first it was kind of hard. And there was, I think, I'll be honest, I think he had some expectations that like as soon as he stopped um, pushing it. As soon as I said, hey, if you don't want it and I'm going to be okay with that, it's going to be great because I've totally changed it. And that's not the case. No. It does. Yeah. Like after a couple a couple of weeks, he's like, Well, have you noticed any difference? And I'm like, No. Honey, it's been two weeks. Yeah. No, Come I on, haven't. Give I us haven't some really. time. But and and I don't think it's just this idea of if I want sex, I'm gonna ask my wife, and if she tells me no, I'm gonna be totally okay with it. And all of a sudden everything's fixed. Well, we had to change the way we asked too. Right. You had mentioned mm. Zach, that you'll say, well, do you want to make out or do yeah. do you want to have sex? And she's just like, what am I, a prostitute? Don't ask me for that kind of stuff. <laughs> and she says, I want you to tell me that you want me. Yeah, and this you, is your wife telling you this. Yeah, so my wife was saying, I want you to tell, Becky's saying, I want you to tell me that you want me. And then I have the choice of saying, well, you can't have me right now. Mm. kind of thing and and that was hard (laughs) (laughs) that was that was really hard um but it was worth it because it's just like well you know i want you and and she would say well sorry you're gonna have to wait on that one and then then you have to be able to as the man which is this is where men fail miserably is they become whiny little babies Mm -hmm. all the time and then they start begging and pleading Ugh. For sex, right? And so it's such a turnoff. Yeah. And Becky's <laughs> like, what are you, a 12-year-old boy now? Yeah. So you have to get to that point where you truly are okay and you have to be able to self-soothe. And for me, it was Becky doesn't want to have sex with me, but she still loves me. Yeah. She loves me and she wants to be around me. And you, Brent, are okay. Go play go do something else mm-hmm. and and i would i would be like okay but you wouldn't do it from a distract myself it's from a i'm okay and now i'm going to go choose something that's that aligns with my values well first of all it was a little bit more of distraction <laughs> yeah probably and, yeah and then as you start to kind of learn you can get to the point where you're like and you'd still i you know i'd kiss her on the cheek and and nibble on her ear and then be like okay I'm going to go, I'll go do this. And I'm, and I was, I was just fine. I didn't have to go take a cold shower necessarily yeah. or any of those sorts of things. You just, you just learn how to self soothe. So I'm getting better at it. I'm not. Did that like, change Becky? Did that change the, your ability to see him as desirable? Um, the non whiny part probably. It's <laughs> getting better. At first it was really hard. At, at first it was just like, Oh my gosh. And for perspective, and I think a lot of women feel this way, when you're dating and right before you get married, especially in the LDS culture, I think, because you're like, you're not supposed to have sex, right? So you kind of, and I would really like to find somebody out there who didn't have this problem, because I don't think it exists. I think as as you're getting close to your marriage date, you are right at that boundary where you're like, we're not worthy to go through the temple anymore. So you're like, you come right up to that boundary all the time. And I'm just like, why was it that we were so like, couldn't keep our hands off of each other 
But then as soon as we got married and after kind of the honeymoon phase, that all went away. Yeah. I'm like, what happened that all of a sudden now I'm just like, ugh. And I think it was when you're dating, he is doing everything to help you see that he's into you. He likes you. He's going to bend over backwards for you. I mean, not everything, but for the most part, like he just, he's laying it on thick, right? He's courting you. Yeah. Then as soon as you get married, it's like, well, I don't have to do that anymore. Mm. All right. We're already married. And I think, and I don't know if this is for everybody, but in my life in the LDS culture, I've always heard, oh, we don't even say the word divorce. We don't say the D word because we're in this for the long haul. We're going, we're, we're married for eternity. And I literally, like we talked about that in the first part of our marriage, like, oh, we're never going to get a divorce. But then I started thinking, wait a minute, if I tell him that, then he doesn't have to keep working for me. He doesn't have to keep pursuing me. And so I got to the point where I was like, I could divorce your butt anytime. And he'd be like, whoa, wait, what? And I'm like, no, you have to continue to work for this. This is, I understand that, you know, divorce. By the way, that's a two-way street. Right, right. Exactly. And how can And how can you choose a relationship that isn't that, right? How can you have a choice if the only choice is to stay married no matter what? That's not, you, you can never choose that relationship because you don't have a choice to not choose it. Right. right, it's not worth fighting for. Yeah. Right. And so I think when we're always like, mm, I could divorce you. Like, it wouldn't right. be fun. And I would hate it. Yeah. If it comes down to that, that's always the option on the table because you have to keep working for me and I have to keep working for you. We have to keep choosing this. And once we started talking like that, if he started acting kind of whiny about, oh, it's been so long since we had sex, I'd be like, well, you can go elsewhere. And he'd be like, well, that's not exactly what I wanted. And I'm like, well, then stop your whining. <laughs> so we have, we have an interesting relationship. Well, and it and it sounds like you, Becky, you have learned that you are gonna ha- you have to step in and have to oh, yeah. deal with your reactive desire. And I think most women are in a reactive desire position, which is uh, for anybody who hasn't heard that term before, is it's I c- I could take it or leave it at any given moment. But if I want to do it, I have to get in the mind frame and choose to be there long enough to get the engine going. I like to call it starting the 500-year-old tractor. You got to turn the knob and pull the lever and grease the wheels and all the things that you got to do to get that tractor started. But once it starts, it, it runs great, right? Right. <laughs> but it sounds like you, you had to step into that. So, Brent, what has what have you been able to achieve through coaching? Um, there's been a lot of things I think I've been able to achieve. Number one is it's, is it's, it's up to me. It's the understanding of agency, what agency truly is and what it is not. Um, the, the coaching has helped me to understand that I'm in control and the idea of saying, I can't do something or I I can't look at porn or I can't, um, do this or that is, is, is a fallacy because I can, I can do any one of those things through the use of my agency. Um, and it just so happens that my, I want to use my agency to actively choose to not do certain things or to choose to do certain things. So that was very helpful. 
Uh, the other thing was a lot of the mindfulness work. So we were, she's list, she was listening to Bro, Jody Moore and Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and she was telling me some things and I was listening. Uh, you know, I was talking with you and we were both listening to some stuff from Brooke Castillo and, and just the idea of being able to change who you are comes from within you. And so you have to think about the things that you want to become and you have to um, be disciplined enough to override the demotivation that you would feel. So when it comes to, you know, feeling bad, feeling bad is a demotivating feeling. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't push you to become something better. A negative feeling doesn't, doesn't incite you to grow. It doesn't incite you necessarily. Sometimes fear can, and sometimes, and a lot of times fear can, but like a negative feeling, like I suck, that kind of a feeling doesn't incite you to grow. It just incites you to become a little bit more negative and sucky. So for me, it was the idea that I can choose how I feel and I can choose how I think. And I need to be able to capitalize on that by using my agency to actively decide who I'm going to be today and then try to work on that. And this is where we're at right now is I'm really trying to focus on the discipline to do certain things every day to become better in, in all of the ways, even when I'm not motivated. And that's what discipline is, is that in spite of motivation, you do it. It has nothing to do with motivation. You do it because you are disciplined. Which is interesting because disciplined is a offshoot of disciple, you know, yeah. you, just, you do the thing, you do the thing because it's right. You do the thing because it helps you. You do the thing because it makes you a better person. The reward will come or it won't, but you're doing it because it's the right thing to do. And, and that's where I'm trying to focus now. So that's what it kind of helped me to figure out in my life in a nutshell. Becky, have you seen anything on your side as as you've thought about it? What has what have you been able to achieve because of the work that Brent's doing and that you're doing? Well, it's also doing. yeah, it's also um, it's put more uh, Like it's opened the door for me to explore my own sexuality and I'm not so focused on controlling him. I'm more focused on what is it that I actually like? What is it that I want from him? And that's not just, you know, when we have sex, but it's also how do I want him to talk to me? How do I want him to treat me? How do I want him to be around me in front of our kids? Um, what is okay and what's not okay and what turns me on and what turns me off. And for so long, I think because I was controlling him for so long, I was never ever really able to explore that for myself. And so it's kind of opened that door for me to be more like, what is it exactly that I want? And, um, and to realize that sexuality that especially for a woman is not a bad thing and like um I always kind of go back to that story is it Ruth I think mm -hmm. it's the story of Ruth who goes to the king when Esther. she could have been oh Esther, Esther sorry she goes to the king and she could have been killed 
But I kind of am like, I think that she didn't just approach him and he, you know, allowed, I think she used her sexuality. And that's never discussed. It's not like we're sitting in Relief Society and talking about how Esther used her sexuality with the king. Because there certainly was a reason why he was willing to let her approach. Right. But we don't talk about it like that. We don't say, oh, it was because she used her sexuality. If you said that in church meeting, they would be like, I I just really struggle with that. I I don't think that's why the king allowed Esther to talk. You have that 85-year-old woman. Right. And I'm just like. Losing her cool in the back. Yeah. (laughs) The king picked Esther because of how she looked. He knew nothing about her. So why would he choose Esther? She must have been incredibly good looking. She must have had some sexuality about her and she owned it. And by the way, she was probably wearing all the clothes too. So it didn't have anything to do with what she was wearing. Exactly. There was, there was one time Brent had a patient and she's from Spain Mm -hmm. and we were talking kind of about this, feminist movement especially here in the states and she was like you know you women have kind of ruined it for yourselves here in the states north american women yeah and i was like well what do you mean by that and she goes you know in spain as a woman you are taught that the man might be the head of the house but you are the neck and you get to choose where that head turns all times and i was like well how do you do that and she goes how do you think, as a woman, we would do that? She goes, we use this, because that's the only thing that controls a man. And I looked at her and I was like, holy cow, I wish I was raised in Spain. Because that was not how we are raised here in the States. Because we're told we should be able to do things without using our body and without controlling men. But if we really get down to the facts, that is what controls the men is the woman's sexuality. It's not her brain. I'm sorry if that offends other women, but he is controlled by the fact that she's willing to have sex with him. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe have sex with him. Maybe, but it's, yeah, that's, that's true. The thing that Maria was talking about, too, is she said that this doesn't mean that you're that you're naked. It doesn't mean that you're wearing little to nothing. She says, you're, wearing, you're fully clothed. Yeah. But the way you hold your poise... And the way you appear to the man and the way you have that certain sense of confidence and that air about you, that's what can control. That's what helps to work that man's face to look this direction or that direction, right? So it wasn't now the North American women are all. Well, we want to. We look for equality. Right. But it's not not the same thing, though. Yeah. Instead of equity. And I think equity is women have certain capacities. And men have certain capacities and how you choose to use those creates equity. Now, not every woman is going to be able to do everything a man can do and vice versa. That's Mm -hmm. just the reality of life. So, you know, just being aware of that and being able to hold that space and hold that position for yourself sounds like it it gives you so much more empowerment to be the person that, that you want to be within your relationship. Right. Um, <clears throat> what what would you say to somebody who's looking at coaching who who is in the position you were in what eight months ago nine months ago now what would you say to somebody 
I think the thing that that makes most people hesitate probably is the fact that, uh, frankly, it's probably the money. Sure. And and what's funny about it is I work as a physical therapist, <laughs> and people will spend they'll spend eight hundred dollars, two thousand dollars, to two thousand dollars on rims and tires for their vehicle, but they won't spend forty dollars for a deductible for their own health. Which that's that's pretty sad. And when it ta- when you talk about receiving information and getting your mind set to change to where your to where your marriage is improved, to where intimacy with your wife is improved, to your feelings of guilt and shame are mostly gone or gone. Um, all of those things go away. All of that negative stuff that you were feeling that goes away and it just costs you a couple thousand dollars. Is that really, is that really your sticking point is the money? Yeah. And that's what, that's what really kind of strikes me as odd. People will spend all kinds of money to look good, but they won't spend a whole lot of money to actually become good. And that's a, that's a harsh reality. And I think people need to take a good hard look at uh, who they are. And, uh, you know, these men specifically, I'm sure women as well, but take a good hard look at who you are and then take a really hard look at where you want to be. And then you need to make some decisions about how to get there. And, and I have money was not the factor for us. It was not the factor. We make enough to where we can do this. That was not the factor. The factor was my inability to want to let go so that would be the second thing well you get money concern you got to get past the let go of this issue this is this is my take on that because i i think you're not wrong people see the cost of almost anything and they go well do i want that but anything we value we will pay for that's true and i think more people come to me there's really only three objections can i do this can he teach me? And are these materials the right materials? Those are really the only three objections because money falls into the, can I do this? It's the bat. It's the, it's the thing I tell you up front. So I can stay in a position of not really figuring out whether or not I can do this, not really knowing whether or not I can let go of it. Like you, like you said, for your position, right? Becky, what would you tell somebody who's, you know, the wife is sitting there and saying, okay, What would you say? Well, I think um, if I were to be talking to the other wives, I would say, don't think that if your husband or even, I mean, even if you're a female who is struggling with pornography and your husband, I would say to the spouse who's not addicted or not struggling with it, don't think that you're off scotch-free that it's just their problem that they have to work through because it affects your marriage. It affects everything. And you're going to find that the person who is trying to overcome this in their life is going to have to do things differently than you've had it in your marriage for a while. And that requires you to change too. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was, it was great to see him start thinking differently but the, the greatest thing that I saw was that he had hope. 
And that for me was like, finally, he's found something that he believes this is going to work for me. And it was so devastating every time he came home from talking to a bishop that he just was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Whereas he'd get off the phone with you and he, I was like, I could see the hope in his eyes. Like I am moving in a direction that is taking me away from this. I can actually feel it and see it. I have hope. And so that was big for me. It was also this idea of, I, I just wanted a marriage that I felt like we were already headed in the right direction before the other side. I think sometimes we get in this, this mind frame of, well, we're married for eternity and I just have to put up with all of the crap in our marriage until we get to the other side. And then somehow we're going to figure it out and then we'll be great for eternity. And I think in my mind, I'm like, why are we waiting till then? I'd really like to experience a really great marriage right now. And not only just for us, but I want our kids to understand what that looks like so that when they're choosing a mate, they're conscientious, conscientious of what their role is and what they should be looking for in a mate. And that anything that comes up in a marriage, it can be worked on. It can be figured out. And it's not this, well, he wasn't doing this for me or she wasn't doing this for me. So let's just get a divorce. But at the same time, understanding we have to continue to work at this. And that's, there's not a price for that for me. I, I feel like we are closer now than we've ever been in our marriage. And, um, and intimately, it's not just the sex intimately we are closer to each other in terms of how we feel about things, how we feel about our kids, the way we talk about money with each other, the way we talk about business, um, just being willing to be vulnerable with each other. I think that was a huge thing in our marriages because we were always trying to control things. We weren't willing to be vulnerable. And now it's like, I don't get to control him anymore. So that actually does put me in a vulnerable position. Mm. And so I have to allow that. I have to be willing to be vulnerable. And when I realize that I can be vulnerable and he still wants me, that's it's kind of super sexy. So, yeah. so <laughs> am, I, am I to take it that, uh, the, the, that this was – this was a success for you that this has helped create, start to create and start to build that marriage that you've always wanted that you wanted before you had to get to the other side. Yeah. yeah. yeah for sure. Definitely. Absolutely. And that's not to say that the journey's over. Yeah. Oh, no. You're not perfect yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> really, really, really close though. Yeah. No. A few more sessions. <laughs> yeah. No, well, it's, it has created it has created a lot of hope, and it has created a lot of of desire to want to improve, and it has created an an opportunity for me to be vulnerable as a man. You're not really taught to be vulnerable, and so now you can go. I can go, and I can you know I can talk to men about certain things, and I can be like, this is this is what I had, this is what I've dealt with, and then. Nine times out of 10, they're like, oh, you too? Yeah. Like, yeah, there's a way. And and it doesn't have to be pain. It doesn't have to be as grueling and arduous as you might think. And so it's, 
it's been uh, it's been nice to be able to just let that stigma go as well. So then the the guilt and the shame portion of it that just goes away with it. And it's like, yeah, this is what I've done. And so have eighty percent of you that are in this congregation probably. Yeah. So we can fix this. We can fix this together. And this is just a part of the growing process. So there's hope. There's an idea of 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 being able to get out from underneath that particular thumb, if you will. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm so grateful that you guys came on the podcast. I'm so grateful for the work that you've done because, you know, Darcy and I, we talk about this a lot. We want the reality of life to be that no marriage is ever destroyed by pornography ever again. We don't think that that that's a pipe dream. We think that's that's a, a real possibility and a real uh, really something that we can all work towards. And it sounds like not not just have you put pornography behind you in a meaningful way, but you are really creating a wonderful and enjoyable marriage where you each choose each other from a position of freedom. And I love that. I really love it. Well, I would also add to the work that he has done with you and having those conversations and then him and I having conversations, it builds a framework of how you approach everything. It's not just the porn. It builds a framework with how you deal with money, how you deal with raising your kids, how you deal with your in-laws, how you deal with people in the church or church callings. It builds a framework of how to think about things. And that's, that's huge. Yeah. You know that you're exactly right. This, this is not solving one problem. It's, it's creating a place, a, a framework so that you can solve many, many problems. And, I, and I, that's why I like this work. Um, uh, but uh, thank you guys so much for coming on. I, I greatly appreciate it. And, yeah. uh, and, and if, uh, if anybody wants to sign up for a, a free consult, feel free to go to zachspafford.com slash work with Zach. All right, you guys have a great week and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Thrive Beyond Pornography. If you're seeking guidance and support to overcome pornography for good and begin creating a thriving life beyond it, check out my free webinar, How to Overcome Pornography with Skills That Actually Work. You'll learn practical, proven skills guided by an expert coach who has personally overcome pornography. Whether you're getting started for just yourself or along with your spouse, Darcy and I can teach you the tools that will help you put your life on the right path for you. Be sure to check out the show notes for a direct link and... If you could take a moment to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, it would mean the world to us. Your reviews play a significant role in helping others discover the show so they can join us on this transformative journey. Thank you for being part of the Thrive Beyond Pornography community. Until our next episode, stay strong, stay focused, and keep thriving.